You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment. And I can tell you that you'll want to listen on to find out what she has to say about the potential legal nightmares you can have when buying off the plan properties. Are you able to read some of my advices? I mean, I look at these contracts and I just want to vomit. And so I then relay that to my client and they say, oh, yeah, we think we'll be right. Don't forget, stay with us for this week's Property Dumbo. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Amanda Farmer, owner of Lawyers Chambers, a boutique strata specialist law firm in Sydney. Now, with over 15 years' experience in the property law sector, Amanda is also the host of Your Strata Property Podcast, and I absolutely encourage you all to listen to this one. Now, this delivers valuable guidance and expert tips to apartment owners and managers every single week. Now, Amanda sits also on the Council of the Australian College of Strata Lawyers and is also the founder of Women in Strata, a networking group for women working in strata management. Now, we want to find out some of her top tips for people buying into Strata, and we also want to examine the purchasing process from her perspective as a Strata lawyer, since she recently bought an apartment herself. Welcome, Amanda. Hello. Thank you so much for having me here on the show. Thank you, Amanda. Good to have another podcaster in the room. Yes, it's wonderful to be on <laughs> this side of the of the desk of the mic for a change. I can I have the luxury of sitting back and answering questions for a change. <laughs> so there's obviously a shift happening now where we're moving more away from home ownership because they're too expensive. You and mean house ownership. Yeah, I mean house ownership, <laughs> I guess. And we're in you know, apartment livings, the rise of apartment living and mm. the, the problems with apartment living sometimes is strata. And, and buying into strata. Mm. If you say you buy a new apartment or you buy an old apartment and you've got problems with the strata and you want to attend a strata meeting, mm. how does that go wrong? You know, how does that really, you know, <laughs> um, you know, are meetings always fairly run? Are they always, you know, reasonable? Mm, jumping straight in, hey? Yep. Uh, yeah, well, I definitely recommend to people who are new to strata living um, or even if you think you're an old hand, definitely get involved with the building. And the best way to do that is to go to meetings. So mm-hmm. you'll find that a strata building will have two types of meetings. They'll have a general meeting, which is a meeting of all the owners. So anyone who's an owner is entitled to attend and to vote at those meetings. And then they'll have strata committee meetings. So if you think of the strata committee kind of like a board of directors, you've got the bigger company, which is all the owners, and then you've got the board of directors, which is anywhere between two and nine people who are elected Mm -hmm. to the strata committee. And they're going to have more regular meetings throughout the year, hopefully, in a well-run building. Uh, They might be meeting once a month. They might be meeting once every six months. So that's the strata committee meeting. But if you are not yet ready to put your hand up for the strata committee, definitely get yourself to your general meeting. And that's where you're going to find out what's planned for the year, what the levies are going to be, any serious issues that might be going on in the building that you need to get involved in. Uh, And I attend these meetings generally as, uh, usually as the hired gun, I'll say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm often hired by a lot owner to go in and help them to uh, put a position forward. So maybe to get their renovation approved. I've done a bylaw for them and the bylaw sets out what they're going to do for their kitchen, for example, or their bathroom or both. And I'm there to walk the other owners through this renovation and to explain to them why they should support it and vote in favour of the bylaw and have the renovation approved. Uh, I can be there when there's litigation going on. So mm-hmm. we're in the tribunal because we're having a, di- a dispute with the building or perhaps it's the building having a dispute with the with the lot owner uh, or two particular lot owners and I'm there to fill everybody in on how that's going uh, and maybe to uh, once again try and get a decision made about something that's been outstanding for a while. So you say the hired gun. That means they've hired you usually when they've been unsuccessful? 
usually. No, not necessarily. Or they're preempting that it's not going to go too well. So we need to get someone who's yes. very good at this. <laughs> yes, yes, that's ex- that, that's exactly it. Um, they're preempting. It's not going to be a very comfortable meeting. Yeah. So generally, if I turn up to a meeting, it's already a sign that it's going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> the lawyer walking in the door, immediately everyone in the room gets tense. <laughs> okay, who's who's she? Who's she? And I have to say, I, I probably don't <laughs> present as your average lawyer. I don't wear suits. Who's she? Why is she here? Who are you here for? I love it. Where are you from? <laughs> you but do they know you Where are you from? To which I say Darlinghurst. Uh, <laughs> and uh, no, often they don't know that I'm coming. Uh, and I... It, I really love going to meetings because I find it's where I can have the most impact. And that's in a, in a good way, not necessarily in a, in a um, rattle the cage way, though sometimes that has to happen. But I can take it as an opportunity to help uh, educate people about why I'm here, what this particular issue is, how we're going to work our way through it, and what starts out as a very tense situation uh, ends up that everyone's much more relaxed towards the end, understanding. I've answered a lot of questions that maybe the strata manager who's there running the meeting wasn't quite sure. Hey, Amanda, while you're here, can you just tell me what this particular section of the act means? Am I doing this properly? I say, yeah, sure, Mike, I'll help you out. No (laughs) probs. And we all end up becoming friends. But for uh, most of the time, but for people who are new to strata meetings in particular, whether there's lawyers there or not, it can be a very intimidating experience Mm. and going to your first strata meeting, not understanding the terminology, not understanding the processes, the procedure that's going on, the paperwork. Uh, I can see how from the other side that can be quite overwhelming and why people maybe don't want to attend and don't want to get involved. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah, I I agree. There are so many different types of owners, corporations and strata managers. And so when you walk into a meeting, I mean, you've been pre-warned in some respects, I guess, from your client. Mm. But what's some of the sort of gamut that you see? Oh, yeah. What's the spread here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have been at meetings where they're attempting to sack the strata manager and the strata manager refuses to go. So maybe there's another strata manager in the room who is the the one who's coming in. So there can be a lot of uh, tense moments around that. I've been at a meeting where people have shouted at each other, stood over me. We can get quite physical, tables and chairs moved around. You know, things yeah. that sort of you wow. think, is this, is this movie? stuff. And they don't come but, out in the minutes, does it? Nobody writes, somebody oh, threw a chair. Well, no, generally no. Generally no. I would encourage it. I, I would say, uh, chair, please minute, please minute that uh, <laughs> Mr. Smith just stood up and, and <laughs> leant over me. But no, that generally doesn't happen. Uh, I have attended meetings where I've had to um, speak to the meeting to, uh, against somebody else's motion and then yep. you have half the room sort of cheers and claps for you and the other half sort of boos and, yep. you know, it can get quite a bit like we're at a, a, a sporting event. Some meetings I've gone to prepared for the battle and they all go very smoothly and everybody's mm. quite surprised. So when you say the battle, is there some serial offenders? So the investor <laughs> that never wants to spend any money, the in property mogul that's got 50 properties that – thinks he knows everything about everything and, yeah. um, you know, tries to use maybe dominance and aggression to dismiss everyone. You know, what are some of these people that you constantly see pop up or the pedantic ones or, you know, I'm yeah. trying to probably eat, you know, yeah. I find, uh, particularly because I'm working a lot with lot owners who are trying to get things done around the building, uh, trying to get, whether it's just their their agenda that they want to get their renovation, for example, approved, or they just want things improved around the property and they want some compliance with the law, we're usually coming up against uh, perhaps the retiree, uh, I have to say generally <sighs> male, uh, he's been, uh, perhaps he was a director at a large company for many, many years, so he knows exactly how these things should be run and he's been in charge of multi million dollar budgets. So he knows exactly what he's doing and has never really had anyone push back on that Mm. and has never had uh, either a strata manager at all or a strata manager with a strong personality or a strata manager with some experience and expertise to be able to say, hey, no, we're actually not compliant. We do need to repair and maintain the common property. We do need to raise levies. And he's kind of had his own little fiefdom going for quite some time. (laughs) And then I've come in with my clients uh, and, you know, I might walk in the door and people make a judgment about that that, you know, 
I was going to say relatively young or used to be young, mm. <laughs> used to be young, uh, blonde and a woman. And well, of course, she's not going to tell me what mm. to do. Uh, so I get a, generally get a lot of pushback at first from characters like that, but it doesn't take too long. And sometimes I do attend, I work with clients for a couple of years and I might attend three or four meetings. By the time I'm at that fourth meeting, hi, Amanda, how are you? Good to have you here. How's it going today? Mm. And I do like to approach those situations in a way that's friendly and helpful. And look, I'm there to solve a problem and it's a problem not not just for my clients, but it's a this. If we can solve this problem, it's going to increase the value of everyone's investment. So it's important that uh, I'm there to to serve the building as a whole as well. So that's the bark is bigger than the bite sort Absolutely. of person. The person that um, is always complaining, making sure everyone feels uncomfortable, and the bin's not put in the right place. Then they kick up a fuss, and they new person moves in, and they start whinging straight away. Like yeah, and there's a look. There's a place for that. Yeah. There's a place for making sure that bylaws are upheld, that tenants in particular are complying with those everyday rules of where rubbish needs to go. It helps our buildings run smoothly, and it's always good to have. Uh, I like having that pedantic person around. I love it. <laughs> but, but not the control freak. Not the control the- freak, and not the the person who is flouting the law. Mm. Uh, and mm. that's really where I get involved. And and if I can see that happening, then I can say pretty quickly, yes, I can help to solve that problem because um, you should be complying with these particular requirements and you're not. Noisy neighbours, what can you do? Uh, knock on the door and let them know they're noisy. Gosh, I do that in my own building. Mm. Uh, if, if somebody's making noises that I think, either upstairs or downstairs, that I think, hang on, it's a bit late for that, I'll go knock on the door and I'll say, hi, Joan, um, did you realise, oh, my goodness, I couldn't, I, you can hear that? Oh, I'm so sorry, and I don't hear it again. That is mm. a step that too often people forget to take, they to do, talk to each other. Yeah, it's like they, they feel so fearful of confrontation, they'll actually let it escalate yep. before yep. dealing with it or or engage a lawyer to deal with it. Absolutely. Or contact the strata manager and say, please send a letter. And this person's getting a letter for the first time, having not heard from you, and you're downstairs and you see them in the lift and you say, mm. hi and bye, but mm. what, now I'm not. Or- exactly. <laughs> Awkward. Um, so don't forget to take that. I always say that's the first step. Have you spoken to this person? And mm. yes, there are then procedures after that in terms of notices and penalties and bylaw breaches and let's all go to the tribunal. But nine times out of ten, Noise uh, is the kind of issue that can be solved by mm-hmm. just having a chat and people often aren't aware that they're impacting others. Yeah, I guess if they've got nice quiet neighbours, they think that the place is soundproof. Mm. <laughs> well, a lot of these new buildings are definitely not soundproof. No. Oh, that's right, <laughs> far from it. Yep. <laughs> Actually, um, when I first asked you to come on this podcast, uh, you mentioned something about um, when you bought recently yourself and mm. that through the experience or through buying through the eyes of a strata lawyer and yes you did turn into a crazy person <laughs> <laughs> yes I think I said that one of my podcasts <laughs> yeah I have recently bought strata and I've certainly bought strata before but uh, we are living in this unit which is new for us uh, we sold a house so we've gone from a house where we were for many years into a three-bedroom strata apartment and look I'm still recovering from the process of, of purchasing and I say that because uh, you know, you talk about elephants on this podcast. I I approach this process with the uh, the view that I'm a strata lawyer. I cannot buy a dud strata property. Mm. I just can't do it. Imagine if I did that. It would be uh, bad. And I, it would be bad. And, I, and look, I said that to my husband. He said, are you crazy? If anyone's going to buy a dud, who's better to buy it than you? Because if there's something wrong with it, you're going to fix it up quick. Oh, smart. I love, he's a real and positive I, I went, thinker, isn't he? Like that. <laughs> well, the building still needs to be fixed and costs money. So, <laughs> so what <Yeah>. happened? <laughs> So, look, we bought in. We're very happy. Uh, there are some issues in the building, but there are issues that I certainly knew about going in, and mm. that's a key point to make. Mm. Uh, and I know, Veronica, we've spoken about this on on our podcast, um, the, the importance of doing that inspection of the strata books and records before you purchase and preferably before you get your heart set on mm. a property, well, which I know. Got, yeah, so easy to say, so hard mm. to do. Uh, and I now and I understand that feeling because I was having that conversation with myself. Look, I knew there were things going on in the building that I was going to have to tackle uh, when I came in and I, I, said, I, I weighed up. Um, you know, the price I was going to be paying, what these issues were. My, I brought my own experience to the table and I made that decision to purchase the property. We're only a few months in, so I like to say that's the right decision, but but who knows? And the lucky thing is there's some good people in the building who we're all working together to get some Did you fall sorted. in love with it before you looked at the Strata <sighs> Report? 
I'm not a person who falls in love with property. This right. We did move very quickly on this purchase, which made me very uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that made me very uncomfortable was that it was already renovated. So we were buying someone else's renovation. Uh, I know too much about building defects, um, both in new buildings. And this is an old, older building. I wouldn't buy a new strata building. Well, good. We will ask you more about <laughs> Jump that into in a that minute. You'll finish this topic and then we'll get to that. Um, so I had that. I had a lot of... Uh, it was out of my comfort zone, let's say mm. that. I usually take it to take some time. I think about things quite analytically. Uh, and there were there were some concerns about this property that I hadn't had with other properties. So I yeah. it took me a long time to really question. And it was generally it was my husband who was in the background sort of saying, You're you're looking for reasons to talk yourself out of this. Yeah. And what does your gut say? And when I answered that question, my gut says buy it. Yeah. That was it. The decision was made. And I had already seen the strata report at that stage, but I don't think even if there was it something worse that had cropped up. I think the minute I said my gut says yes, that's that was it. We were but in. that does come back down to the emotional side of you yeah. as well, isn't it? Because that's yeah. all instinctive. And, and uh, you know, what I always say to our clients is eyes wide open. You know, if you're going to buy a dud, then I just want you to understand yes. why it's a dud, what you need to do about it, not overpay for it, all that sort of thing. And if yep. we can lay all of that out and then you say, right, I still want to buy this dud, that's okay. Let's go and get that for you at the cheapest possible price. Um, or if it's even a good property, they all have their issues. Mm. So once again, it's eyes wide open. So you're fully aware of that. You're not you're not, you don't have the rose-coloured glasses on so that when you've settled and when you move in, you go, oh, Oops. I really didn't think of that. Yeah. And this is a, a, big, a big problem with you don't know what you don't know. So in many respects, you do know what you don't, you, you know. Yes. <laughs> and you sort of overanalyze potentially as a result of knowing too much maybe. Yeah. And it, it was interesting. Um, the agent who was selling it obviously knew uh, one of the big issues was that there's a quite a large loan for some uh, building work that they had to do. And so I look at the records and I can see that. I can see that there's half mm. a million dollars that needs to be repaid to a strata finance company. And I'm going to be left with the levy to repay that. And I went away and did my sums and worked out, you know, it's going to be uh, X thousands of dollars that we're going to have to fork out in the coming months to and repay you, And this. you worked out that via your unit entitlement and, yeah, and, exactly. and doing calculation. Yeah, yep. So it and can I, be done. And I went back to the agent and said, look, I've looked at the records and this. I can see that this is coming up and that's <laughs> going to affect what we're going to pay for the property. We need some, some money left in our pocket here. And it got to the stage where he was saying things, and I now know from listening to your podcast how, how influenced <laughs> uh, I was. Ooh, he was saying good. things like, um, well, look, I want to sell. We, we've got someone else, but I want to sell this property to you. Oh. We've got someone. And, I, and I'm <laughs> telling myself, I wonder if that's because I know what the, what the problems with mm. the property are and maybe he feels more comfortable about selling it to me because I put my hand up and said, <laughs> look, buddy, uh, I know what's on the horizon. And I'm sort of talking my talking myself in circles it. around what he's thinking, why he wants to sell to me, and God only knows if there was another purchaser it, there or not. No. <laughs> <laughs> and if there was, he's probably said the same line to them as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. What you spoke about there, why you were uncomfortable, I thought that was really interesting. You said, you know, it was all happening very fast. Yeah. And mm. I think that's something that, you know, I know I deal with with lots of clients. I know you would too, Veronica, is when you actually do find the right property, it all happens extremely fast mm. and, you know, you've got to be, you know, you can't be like, oh, I'm busy at work today. Yep. I'm just going to look at it at five o'clock and then, oh, and then you get home and you cook dinner and then you quickly have a look at it and then you don't really ever dedicate any time to it yep. and you've got to dedicate it at that point in time for that day mm. and generally speaking, you know, we just prioritise something maybe small and mm. all of a sudden you're signing a contract and it's just oh, done. Yes. Well, agents do use that 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 pressure and, uh, you know, it's five o'clock on Thursday and we're, we're going to sign someone else up, but, mm. you know, we, mm. we need you down here at the office to sign. And it, it does. I see it with, I don't do a lot of conveyancing, but the few that I do, I see clients of mine in that position as well and feeling that pressure to sign and not being quite sure. Uh, I think to be, uh, if you're buying something uh, with someone else, with a partner, to be supported by that person is really key in that stage. I know that helps uh, me when we're buying, buying properties. Uh, my husband can be there and level-headed and I'm sort of in the back doing all the reasons why not mm. <laughs> and he's and he's uh you know often doing the hard yards of talking to the agent and making sure the documents get signed so it helps when there's two of you um but it's simply often, being aware of that mm. it's often the case actually and I, I see that with our couple clients that you've got one that is particularly um positive or glass half full and the other mm. one is quite often glass you know glass empty glass, I can't even say it the other one is often glass half empty and together it's a really good formidable yep. duo and in fact 
quite often when I'm talking to singles, I say, well, we'll be the opposite to you. You'll be, we'll be the yin to your yang. Mm. Um, mm. We'll be overly positive sometimes and people are overly negative and, and vice versa. Yep. And you do need both sides of that because there is still an, an element of faith. You know, because it is an emotion. If you're going to live in it, that is, and not if it's an investment, but if you're going to live in it, you know, it has to be a place you want to live. And so there have, there are always going to be things that you will forgive and and decide to deal with in order to be there if it's right for you in other ways, isn't it? And that Mm. makes it very complicated though. Yeah, it does. And and talking through that with your partner, you know, well, what are the reasons? Why are we in this area? Why is it, what is it about the view that we like? How can we see ourselves waking up every morning and, and, you know, our little one's going to go to school across the road and sort of reminding of all those good things and then running through the bad things and weighing up, you know what, at some point you've got to make the decision though, don't you? You've just got to jump. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's exactly right. You should be playing devil's advocate with yourself mm. and with mm. your partner and really thinking things through and asking, you know, random, you know, like what's going to be like to live there and all those are great yeah. questions. I guess you're right, though. If you haven't got one half full and one half empty, they're both a full, you know, you've got two dreamers and mm. they'll make oh, it, and they'll be like, oh, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> Let's just buy yep. it. And you haven't even thought about those things and they've just all of a sudden they've signed the contract. The other or- side- or you've got one that's really dominant and the other doesn't speak up. You've got a really passive mm. partner. Well, that's that a really that's a diabolical combination when it comes to buying property. And that's very common as well because, you know, unfortunately we when we especially new couples, you know, mm. their financial position's not always equal. Mm. It's generally not equal. And someone's bringing more money, someone earns more money. And, you know, the other person doesn't feel like they can speak up because they don't feel like they're coming to the table. But, you know, if you're a couple, you're a couple. And if you're going to live there together, you should, you do have a, you're going to live there. So you need counselling before you go buying a property. (laughs) Before, during, (laughs) after. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I've just been reminded recently, you know, there's the other side of the coin when clients are, you know, maybe too pessimistic. And mm. you've got two yes. people that are very pessimistic yeah. and they don't make a decision. Mm. And, you know, it's just recently I was with a client and, you know, four years ago they were thinking about buying a property and they still haven't bought and, you know, they're still waiting for this this market to crash and mm. et cetera. Yeah. And they're never still, you know, their friends <laughs> around them are still buying all these prices, of these properties, and they're all thinking that they're crazy. Mm. Um, but, you know, they're still stuck, you know, because they can't kind of make that decision. It's just such a... You know, yeah, hard thing to do. You can do. only so debate for so long. Yeah. And you've got to, you got to take that step. you got to piss or get off the pot. So we That's can't, it. I can't let you get away with one line you said. I know. Oh, I know what ago. you're going to go, where are you going to um, <laughs> And you said that you would never buy a mm. new building yeah. and that's got strata. And can you please enlighten our listeners <laughs> on why you said that and why you believe that? Oh, look, um, I would not buy a new strata building simply because of building defects, sadly. Um, mm. Look, we're, we're in Sydney. I don't know that it's much better anywhere else, but we still have this plague of poorly built buildings. And um, I'm sure some developers are better than others, but um, I just have seen too many buildings, too many lot owners go through a process which lasts for years. Mm getting defects fixed and ultimately they might all get it done and it might be up to scratch and the developer might come back and do it or they might get some homeowner's warranty that will pay for it so they're not necessarily out of pocket but my gosh that takes over your life yeah. for a very mm. long time. Um, I have had clients who have bought off the plan before so I said I don't do much conveyancing but when I do it's often off the plan uh, contracts because they are more complicated and mm. do need more attention uh, and it's very important for any listeners who are thinking about buying off the plan to make sure so, so you true. get mm, proper yeah. advice and you're buying strata, get it from a strata lawyer. Why um, are those contracts complicated? <laughs> look, they're, they're, they're standard form. You're dealing with uh, a very uh, different level of bargaining power yeah. on each side. So you're dealing yeah. with developers who have work with uh, often large law firms and they're pulling out the template and you ask for changes and they say, no, get lost. Yeah. We've, got, yeah. we've got 20 more people who are ready to sign. Uh, at least they, they used to, maybe not in this market. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one big danger with buying off the plan is, of course, I think, Chris, you've written about this, uh, the valuation and mm. getting finance. So you'll get your finance approved uh, and then when the strata plan comes off, say two or three years down the track and you're about to settle, the bank's going to go and look at that property, is going to value it and is going to say, well, this is how much we think it's worth and, yes, that matches what we approve for you or it doesn't. And I had a yeah. client very recently uh, 
signed up. Uh, it's an iconic building in Sydney and we're head over hills for it. They signed a contract for $2 million. Uh, three years later, have gone to settle and the bank came in at one6 So, okay, what happens then? Yeah, uh, <laughs> scramble, uh, talking to me, talking to contacts that I might have to get them some finance, talking to different banks. And ultimately, I think in that case, the bank uh, was able to value it again and got a little bit closer to the amount that they needed. Wow. But terrifying. Absolutely you terrifying. you could sign a contract, you know, three years ago and the property is just not worth that anymore. And I think we're going to see that, and Chris, you probably have more to say about this than me, but more, um, more and more I think we're going to see in, in this market. Yeah, because the thing is that there's this belief that people have that buying off the plan you're getting, you know, you're getting a better price. And I, I still can't believe that this belief yes. persists the, because the evidence is absolutely clearly and, and overwhelmingly to the contrary. Yeah. Well, the, that belief comes from I bought a unit in 2014 with a $10,000 cash down. I used got a deposit bond provided by the developer for the rest of the deposit. Um and when I went to settle, it's going to, instead of being worth 800000 it's going to be worth a million dollars. And so I bought it at 2014 prices, not 2018 prices. Which which did happen for a lot of people yep. during the boom. And that was the boom doing that, not the yep. fact that you were a brilliant investor. Correct. Or that you picked the right development or any of that. Um, everyone was going to make money. You know, you're just lucky. Yep. Yeah. So now, however, the, you know, the exactly. tide has turned. Yes. And you're not in control of what happens in the market. So when you buy off, mar- you know, you you buy off the plan, you sign a contract. You are often thinking in today's terms, and that is, that that goes along the lines of, well, what is it worth today? What is the market doing today? Where are all the other buyers doing? What are they all doing today? What can I borrow today because of my current yes. circumstances, my current Correct. job? Yep. I haven't had a baby, all that sort of stuff. What are the banks prepared to lend me today versus what are they going to lend me in three? Four years time, mm. and and there's this little bubble that we're all in that you can't go wrong. Is that yes. overcompetent? Over optimism. That's an over optimism yeah. effect. Yeah, I device. mean that's it's off the plan. It's a huge issue. You know, it's in around signing contracts because you know once you have signed the contract, it's very difficult. Because if you're a smart developer, and what I mean by smart is a smart developer would have a contract that's pretty much watertight, mm. and <laughs> it's very difficult for the people who have signed those contracts to get out. Yes. And you can't even get out of it and sell it to someone else because they don't allow any pre-sales prior to settlement. And so you basically have to settle. Yep. And if that settlement's not till say, 2020, your basic life is on hold. You can't get out of this. Yeah. And you basically have to wait till. So if you want to buy That's a house reason. in 2019 because <laughs> yep. you want to buy a new home, well, you've got to know that in 2020 we then have to settle on this property. And so you have to make decisions based now that what's going to happen in 2020. Oh, the, mm-hmm, the, the problem mm-hmm. just, you know. And yeah. what I find amazing is that when you explain that to clients and you know, I'm in the, the luxurious position of only giving legal advice, not, not commercial or financial personal advice, but <laughs> you explain that to clients that, look, this could possibly, because the sunset date, which is the final date the developer must oh, settle, can point. constantly be moved out. Yes, you're signing this in 2014 and they're telling you it'll be complete in 2017, but here in this clause of this contract, they ha- they're entitled to move that date out another two years so we might actually not settle to 2019. Oh, no, that won't happen. How likely is that to happen? You know, I can give this advice and it's very easy for me as a lawyer mm. to say, don't sign this contract, don't yeah. purchase this property in black and white. And I have yet to have anyone who, after going to the uh, open for inspection, seeing the beautiful display home, putting their uh, $1,000 down, uh, I haven't had anyone back out after getting my 10-page letter that says, wow. do not buy this property. It's wow. amazing. And, yep. and this is something we talked to Michael Ferrio for Iron Inspections, uh, episode 10, I think. And he was saying the same sort of thing with, you know, strata reports and, and building pest inspections. And mm. it's like, I, I know that I need to do my due diligence, so I'll tick the box. I'll actually disregard everything in the due diligence yep. because at the end of the day, I'm so in love with this property, I'm going to buy it anyway. I'm going to buy it, it doesn't matter what you tell me. Yep. So in a way, they could save you. They could have saved money on your fee. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. And you're saying yes. they haven't pulled out. Yeah. I have, it, it, wow. You could read some of my advices. I mean, I look at these contracts and I just want to vomit. And so oh. I then relay that to my client and they say, oh, yeah, we think we'll be right. 
People I mean, are so cavalier <laughs> with money, aren't they? And, they and a lot they, of money. Yes. A lot of money this yes. year. I don't know where this comes from, though, and this is what really frustrates me is that I can reflect back on a client who bought in Canberra a few years ago and they had paid $1,500 on a Saturday. Um, they went to a new off-the-plan apartment. They paid their $1,500. Now, the reason the developer wants you to pay that $1,500 which is a pointless fee anyway. It's fifteen hundred dollars. Means mm. nothing. It's just to get you ha- get well, you invested. Just to get your skin cost. in the game. It's like that. Yeah. That yes. That you've started your commitment. It's yes. That, in- it's the consistency bias kicking in there. You've you've acted. You've actually done something in a sequence of events mm-hmm. that will take you closer to buying that property, and they've got you yep. into into base one. Very clever. And they, even if it's a, I would much rather walk away from fifteen hundred dollars and go. Okay, yes, we we lost fifteen hundred dollars. Mm. But then do you, re- and that pain is only $1,500. <laughs> mm. And to look at your partner and say, look, we've just made a mistake. We shouldn't have done that. We got sold the dream. We realise now that it was a mistake. Let's just go. We lose that $1,500 and get on with our lives. Mm. But most people and most developers know this, that they're not going to do that. They're no. going to just go ahead. And then in two years' time or four years' time, they're going to regret it and they're going to have this property and they're going to have a $500,000 loss or whatever I've got an analogy for you. It's yeah. like... The groom and the bride, and one of them knows that they really don't want to get married and they really wish they hadn't said yes or hadn't asked and they can't get out of it and they keep moving forward in this process and they get to the altar. <laughs> they get married. <laughs> and then the after the, the fallout afterwards is ten times worse than it would have been had they been more honest or be more brave or whatever. Mm. But but this is the thing, and it's that exact sort of mentality that, that gets people into this. And they I don't think there's enough being spoken about the consequences. Yes. So therefore people realize what can go wrong, how horrendous it could be. Um it's and I think that's what this podcast has to do. It's the elephant in the room. You know, yeah, we need to hammer this home. I am a buyer's agent. I invest in property. I own, you know, fair whack of property. I have absolute faith in property as a vehicle for financial freedom. And if you do it right mm. and if you're careful, and mm. I've made mistakes, you know, so if I can make mistakes that haven't been diabolical, thank God, but if I can make mistakes, everybody can make mistakes. I think we do need to talk about these mistakes more often. Mm. And accepting that if you are going to take the step of getting advice from somebody who knows what they're talking about, so perhaps yeah. instead of your 500 bucks on a conveyancer, you're spending your five grand on a, a qualified lawyer who understands these kinds of contracts, if they're going to give you advice, then follow Take it. Take it. <laughs> Are you going? Yeah. You, you're taking Thank that step lucky of stars. getting it. <laughs> following it is the next step. Oh. Yeah, and especially if someone is saying that you shouldn't do something. Mm. You know, it's very easy for people to give you advice to just confirm and validate mm. what you're doing. Yep. And, you know, that's great. But if someone's saying you shouldn't do something, it's probably a good idea just to stop and really listen yeah. and think it through because – that's probably good advice and if it's wrong, that's fine, but at least think about it. And that's where I find that, you know, a lot of people will get advice but they're just looking for someone to validate yeah, what they're already that's thinking. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, okay, yep, I did my due diligence. I've gone and spoken to someone and unfortunately, let's say you're buying an off-the-plan apartment as an example. You go see a conveyancer and the conveyancer says, yeah, that's great, the contract's fine. Now, it's easier for the conveyance or the solicitor to say that than rather say to you, actually, you know what, I wouldn't be buying it mm. because then they may not get paid. And if you go to a mortgage broker mm. um, and the mortgage and you say, oh, should I buy this off the plant? It's easy for the mortgage broker to say, sure. you should yeah. do it because I'm going to get Talking paid now. Talking to someone who doesn't have a vested interest in yeah. the outcome of your decision is a good idea. Paying for your advice. Mm. Yeah. Now you mentioned also about litigation. Yes. And certainly in when you're buying brand new or off the plan, there's a high proportion of buildings, I think, that end up in litigation yeah, of some form or another, right? Tell yeah. us more about that. Look, the first step is always to have the builder and the developer to come back and try and fix any problems there might be with the building. Sometimes there are major problems and we've got leaky buildings, uh, you know, water penetration issues, they're always major. And sometimes they're minor problems that they're just things within the, the kitchen benches and drawers and things that um, can be fixed up easily. Your problem is when the developer or the builder's gone broke and you want to go and claim on the homeowner's warranty insurance. Now, anything that is over four stories does not actually have to have homeowner's warranty insurance. So that's where you find these buildings in trouble and having to raise special levies where the owners have to pitch in 
for what can be multi-million dollar rectification projects because no developer, no builder, no insurance. So this is a huge, huge elephant that very, very, very few property investors, especially in apartments, I think know about. Mm. I think that, you know, if a building is six levels, it needs insurance. It needs, if something goes wrong with that building, but the rules basically say that if it's over four stories, which isn't very high, no, that the, the developer doesn't need that insurance. Yeah, there's, so, there's an incentive for a developer to build a five-story building if you ever have heard of one. Absolutely. It is. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what happens. Mm. And I think the policy around the idea is that, uh, well, there's plenty of owners in the building. They can all raise the money and fix it, can't they? And it just passes the buck, doesn't <laughs> exactly. it? It's like So all the risk goes onto the individual unit lot owner. Mm. That's I think that's criminal personally. And and I, I look, once again, I get so <laughs> revved up about this. First of all, state governments and federal governments encourage first homeowners and mum and dad investors to buy into brand new buildings with stamp duty um, concessions and all sorts of incentives. They are the most risky, it's the most risky segment of the market. Mm. There is, it's documented that the highest proportion of loss making sales is the first resale after brand new. It's documented. And so this is the most risky building to buy into or, or property to buy. The government's in encouraging unsophisticated people to be buying into these buildings. And I, and I don't mean as an insult to people buying, you know, to first home buyers and, and, and mum and dad investors, but it, the reality is that if you're not, you haven't bought before, if it's your first ever investment, then you're not a sophisticated buyer. Mm -hmm. And you're encouraging to these developments so that they can prop up a construction industry. And yet there are so many things that can go wrong and it's the individual owner left carrying the can. Mm. Now, okay, so we've got buildings over four storeys that don't have to have home homeowner's warranty insurance. Mm. So therefore the building itself has to hope that the developer hasn't gone bust or that the uh, builder's still around yep. and they've got someone to sue. And if they don't, they've just got to raise the money themselves. Correct. That's if it. the builder's still around and they're not bankrupt and it's 10 years into the build and 10 years later we're finding this huge concrete cancer, there's problems with mm. the lift, yep. it's leaking, et cetera, yep. you know, can the owner of the apartment go back to the builder and say that, you know, can you please fix all these issues? <laughs> no. In New South Wales we have a maximum six-year warranty period. Six years. Yeah, so, so anything past six years, you're on your own. So, yeah, so, and six years isn't a long time. These buildings are meant to last for 60 years, 100 years, yep. whether they will or not. Mm. Um, you only have to drive around places like Rosebury or Mascot or Waterloo and look at the buildings there that are three or four years old, and I can guarantee you'll think they're a lot older than three or four years old. Mm. Um, you know, and, and so these issues could easily come up in eight years, you know, and it's- And, and they do. Always, That's yeah. when they arise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. in the eighth year. <laughs> so, so what do you think is the optimum period of time to let, you know, the optimum age, I think, to start before you start looking at buying into a building. I would say 15 years plus. Wow, okay. Uh, and I've bought into a 30-year-old building uh, and my previous apartments that I've owned have all been around that mark, 30 to 40-year-old. Yeah, so not much younger than that. And so the waterproofing, the tiles, everything, the builder knows that if they can get through a six-year grace period, Mm -hmm. And the building stacks up. They've yep. got nothing to worry about. You yep. know, I guess, and if you're, you know, I, I'm not being, this is hopefully Apple doesn't sue me, but, you know, does Apple, you know, there's always a conspiracy that Apple's phones always break down <laughs> three or four years after you buy them because they want you to upgrade. Now, this, it's the same sort of principle, I think, you know, if you're a builder, you know, if you're going for the absolute premium materials that you know are going to last for 60 years, or you can go for option B that may last 15 years, but it's 20% cheaper. Unfortunately, a lot of builders would go with option B. Mm. Uh, and that's just the, the big worry here, I guess, you know, with buying these type of properties is that you might feel like there's someone you can always go to, to, you know, you know, get compensation, but A, the, the process to get the compensation and B, whether you actually can or not yes. um, is another thing. So Yeah, and going through that that process of not feeling that you can fully settle in your new home because you've got this uh, oh, uncertainty horrible. hanging over you. Yeah. No thanks, not for me. No. <laughs> Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Amanda, help our listeners out here. Can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Have you got one for us? 
I do, yes. Now, this might be a little bit controversial and depending on when our episode is going to air, but I have to say uh, the investors who have purchased Strata Apartments for the sole purpose of letting them out on Airbnb, I would have to say at this point in time, uh, I'd be calling them the Dumbo of the Week simply because we have recently had an announcement from the New South Wales government that we're going to have some legislative reform. We're not quite sure when yet, but it's looking like Strata Apartments, uh, I'll just say that again, Strata Buildings will be able to prevent investor owners from letting their apartments out yeah. uh, through Airbnb and that's going to be made much, much clearer in our and, legislation. And even if they don't prevent it, there's going to be a cap, right, of 180 yes. nights a year. Yeah, they're talking about a, a capping at 180 nights only to be used for short-term letting. We don't quite know yet yeah. how that plays out. So if you think about it, that could still be every weekend. That's not really going to solve any mm. problems for long-term residents who are complaining about the impact on the amenity. So it will be interesting to see what that legislation says. Uh, but we have had, and you've probably seen it on your side, uh, lots of people jumping into the market thinking this yeah. is a, a yeah. great deal. We can buy this apartment and rent it out at a much... Uh, higher return using Airbnb and now left holding the can, if you like. It was always going to happen, right? So that, you know, other places around the world, New York, Amsterdam, you know, the list mm. goes on. Airbnb issues have been huge problems for, you know, communities and rental markets, et cetera, and the mm. government was always going to have to do something about it. And, you know, I guess the the investors out there that have bought thinking that nothing's ever going to change mm. You know, and then all of a sudden, bang, the state government does make a change. You know, what does that mean to their investment? Is it still stacking up? You know, and that's probably mm, what you're right. thinking. It's yeah. back onto that wishful thinking thing, isn't it? And it's the idea of quick gains and I want to be, I want a quick, fast track to riches. And, you know, they just, they're just dreams. They're just mm. dreams that can turn into nightmares. But certainly I 100% agree with you. Whenever anyone's come to me saying that that's what their investment strategy is, I've always questioned them very, very rigorously on it. We did lose one client, well, yeah, one one potential client because they went off chasing the dream with another agent who absolutely told them that this was the way of the future. And we're like, yeah, maybe the way for now, maybe mm-hmm. not the future. But the thing too is that, you know, unless they bought themselves a quality asset that can be rented on the open market to a yep. long-term tenant and it actually is a good property that's potentially going to do very well capital growth-wise, then there's no reason to buy a property at all, you know. So maybe in short term they get a bit of gain. But, yes, I agree with you. A property Dunbar is somebody that bought specifically for that reason mm. and then invested in all the furniture as well for <laughs> that reason. Oh, exactly. And it's expensive to mm. run it. You've got to pay for the internet and you've got to pay for the, uh, the the phone and the electricity and all those things that otherwise a tenant, a long-term tenant, would be taking on. So you've got to take all that into account. And I think it's a sign, again, of not doing your research and not understanding what it is to buy into a strata building because mm-hmm. even without this legislation there's plenty of buildings who are passing bylaws that are banning short-term lets and are doing so quite legitimately, mm. uh, I say, and looking at your your council zoning as well yeah. because sometimes uh, short stays are prohibited in the area. So you've got council breathing down your neck as well if the council is uh, so inclined. So it really goes to show doing that due diligence and making sure you understand how strata works and it is it is a very unusual aspect of property law in that your neighbours can govern what yep. you do. Mm. They can pass bylaws that say that you, you can't use your property that way. Yes. Well, I'd just like to get your thoughts on a client just at the moment who's looking at it. He wants free advice here. Well, this <laughs> always <laughs> happens. I was waiting. <laughs> and when we air this, this property will be sold. So, but this market, right now this property isn't sold and it's on the market. Mm. I won't say exactly where it is, but... From the pictures, this is a brilliant investment, okay? So it's in a premium inner ring suburb. Um, it's an Art Deco kind of style building. It's um, very beautiful. Um, there's only 12 apartments in the block. And when we look at this contract, um, when you go out the front, the back kind of doors, there's this beautiful big courtyard. And this courtyard is on the plans, the floor plans, what the agent's <laughs> using to sell the property. Mm-hmm. Um this floor, this uh, courtyard is actually on top of the garages, mm-hmm. okay? And what they've put up is this wood divide between two apartments. So it looks like this is a, an apartment that's actually got a huge courtyard on title, mm. okay? 
Secondly, in the contract, um, it's saying that they've got car parking. Now, it actually hasn't got car parking on title. Mm-hmm. But on the contract, it's actually ticked the box that the car parking's on title. Mm-hmm. Now, how is this even possible, right? So, <laughs> so that's the front page of the contract. It's got it ticked, but the actual strata plan doesn't have it in it. So what, is that what you're saying? Yeah, and right. so it's not actually on title. So what? Mm. So this agent's actually trying to sell this property. It's a two-bedroom unit, mm. right? And but what they're advertising it is a two-bedroom unit with parking, and they're basically saying that the courtyard's on title as well because they're giving that impression because mm. no one else uses this courtyard. Mm. But really, I guess from the strata's point of view, that's common ground, yeah. and and also the, the how the agent's justifying the car parking is he saying, look, you know, there's twelve apartments, there's six parking scramble on title, and then it's it's first in best dress. Scramble parking. Oh, okay. <laughs> so look, this is something that trips up strata uh, property buyers quite regularly, and it's probably a whole other episode on how to educate sales agents on how mm. to sell strata because it's something I believe passionately. If we're going to be upskilling our agents and we're in this mode of increasing professionalism, selling strata and understanding strata is a really key aspect of that. Uh, now, you're going to look at your strata plan to see what is on title. The strata plan is in the contract. And it's going to show you what is literally on the title, what it is that you are purchasing, you're going to be the legal owner of. So unless that courtyard area is shown as part of the lot and it will actually have marked, for example, it's lot three, you'll see the outline of lot three, the interior, and then you'll see lot three where the courtyard is. Mm. And unless it's got that lot three written on it, then it is not on title. It is uh, not part of the lot. Unless it's an exclusive use rights. Now I'll <laughs> get to that. That's, that's the second limb of this. Uh, similar with the parking, that's either going to be part of the lot, so it'll say part of lot three, or it could be a separate lot which is not uncommon in older buildings to be aware of that. Sometimes the the parking is a separate lot and you've got to make sure you're buying both lots. Mm. So the contract needs to list both lots. I have a Dumbo story about that too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now that's number one for what's on title. Number two, if there is a bylaw, as Veronica says, that gives the lot three owner the right to use part of the common property for either the courtyard or part of the common property for the parking, then you have what we would call an exclusive use right. And that is a legal right. It's not on your title, but it is a legal right that can be enforced. And under our current law, it cannot be taken away from you unless you consent in writing to it being taken away from you. Um, now, there's also a few caveats on that because it could, if there was litigation, the tribunal could order that it be taken away. Um, that's quite unusual, but I have seen it happen. Uh, but they're the two things to be aware of. It's either on your title that's shown on the plan or you have the right under a bylaw and a copy of the bylaws must be in the contract. Yeah. So if that if that bylaw exists, you will see it in the contracts. If you've got an agent telling you that you have a right to use this area, it's not on the title, there's no bylaw, then you don't have that right and mm. sure as hell don't pay for it. Yeah, well, that's right. In this scenario, uh, can I can I just of- jump in as well? Mm. One episode of the show, we were filming up in Byron Bay and with Farmer Dave, and there was a townhouse that we were going for. And I looked at the contract. Well, first of all, there was the advert advertised uh, courtyard. And in fact, we filmed in that courtyard and uh, had a gate, a garden, and then a deck. And when I got a copy of the contract, I looked at the contract and I said, "That courtyard's not on title." Um, I looked straight to the bylaws and I saw that there was a bylaw giving exclusive use rights over courtyard. When I looked in the diagrams and the drawings that were attached to that bylaw, I saw that the deck was what was given as exclusive Uh. use rights, not the garden and not the fence. Mm. Now, the lawyer, because the lawyer uh, that that Farmer Dave used, so uh, I went back to the lawyer and I said, did you know this? And, of course, because... They see the advertising. They might say, oh, so you got a courtyard. The client says, yeah, i got a courtyard. They don't mm. say, show me the advertising, show me the floor plan on the advertising, show me what the agent is telling you you're buying. And so I brought it up and said, you know what, that that's in the contract is not the extent of what's being advertised. Mm. We went through this whole thing. Turned out the the, the owners had bought, not realising mm. either, the previous people that's did right. it. That's quite common. And yeah. it just goes on yeah. and on and on until somebody actually asks the question. And often the lawyer doesn't actually know. They just ask a question like, oh, has it been renovated? Yeah, it's been renovated. They don't ask anything more about, well, oh, that whole second floor extension <laughs> or, or whatever, was mm. it approved? You know, there's, there's yeah. all these sorts of um, things that can come up that aren't picked up by the lawyer because they don't ask 
they don't know to ask the right questions. That's right. Yeah. A good question is often, what do you think you're buying? Yeah. So they might say, oh, cool. yeah, we think we're, we're getting the terrace mm. or, um, and for, for buyers who are listening to be very clear when they're sitting down and speaking to their lawyer. And again, a, a good reason to invest in good advice. If you're spending money, then the lawyer is going to sit with you and, and go through this and ask them the question, show me on the plan, where is my apartment? Okay. Well, that looks a little bit smaller mm. than what I was, what I'm seeing. Okay. Well, what do you say? And it starts that conversation. So taking the time to talk. Yeah, I mean, even around the size of apartments, um, something to be really careful of mm. because if the valuer thinks it's 39 square metres and the agent's selling you it's 42, including outdoor space, mm -hmm. and they're using, just be really careful with apartments on what you're actually buying because, you know, the valuer might look at it differently to what the marketing material is as well. Mm. Uh, and that can have huge impacts on bank lending and things like that. So, yeah, very, very, very good advice. Now we're talking about all the negative things about buying into Strata, oh, but there's lots of positives. <laughs> now, uh, Amanda, thank you so much for coming in and spending your time and sharing your wisdom and knowledge and experience. But uh, our listeners, I encourage them to get onto your website, which is yourstrataproperty.com.au. It is. Thank you. Subscribe. Listen to your podcast. It's absolutely informative. And I think that well-informed means you make good decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And I do have a free ebook on the website, on the homepage there you'll see, which is the six things you absolutely must know about owning a strata property. So I recommend that buyers hop over there and take a look at that. Look, I, I love living in strata. Uh, I think it's a fabulous opportunity, uh, this entire sector, whether you're an agent selling, whether you're a strata manager, uh, you're a developer, you're just a lowly owner. Uh, it's a fabulous space to be in if you're interested in lifestyle uh, and uh, encourage anyone, it, notwithstanding the negatives we might have talked <laughs> about, to get involved in your strata building and don't be afraid to have a closer look at strata. Really good advice. Thank you so much, Amanda. We will put the link on the show notes uh, and and as I said, I'm, I'm just hammer at home. Please make yourself familiar with all these, these issues and that's a fabulous resource. Thanks, Amanda. Appreciate Thank you. It. Now, please join us next episode or maybe I should say join me because I'm flying solo interviewing John Lindemann. Now, I was a little bit starstruck during this interview, to be honest, and I know that I was trying to sound a bit intelligent, to be quite frank. He has an exceptional understanding of the property market. John turns a couple of property myths on their head in this interview. I found it thoroughly fascinating, absolutely learned so much myself, and I know that you will listening to this episode. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk, editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.